0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are continuing the series that we started last week called Love Song Lies. And this series is all about taking popular love songs that maybe you've heard. And maybe if you're an IEP student, you've never heard that one before, but I bet your parents have. So, uh, We'll take a popular love song and then we'll just kind of tease out the truth in it because there's some truth there, but, but there's also some, some falsehoods as well. And so last year, what we did, or two years ago when we did the series, we really looked at the lies of a song. And what we're doing this year is we're really taking the song and comparing the love that's displayed or attempting to be displayed in the, the lyrics in the song with the love of God. And what does that mean? What does that look like for us? And tonight, the song that the band played um, was made popular in the mid-60s uh, by the Beatles. It was written by... Um, primarily, well, John Lennon, but also Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney primarily wrote this song. It appeared on their their album in 1965 called Rubber Soul, and it was actually, it won the Grammy for best song in 1967. It's one of their most covered songs that the Beatles have ever done. Um, It's been covered over and over and over by bands uh, from the 60s on through today. Uh, And it's a a song that I love. It's a song that I appreciate uh, because it's so simple. And the thing about this song is, um, and I hope you followed along the lyrics, you could could get an idea. But the premise of this song is that there's this man, he's an English-speaking man, and he's fallen in love with a French woman. And this woman doesn't speak English, and he doesn't know very much French. And what French he knows is very limited in its scope. So, He's struggling to convey how he feels to this woman. He's trying to communicate it to her, but, it, but he's struggling. And so the French he knows, he says, and the French he knows goes like this Michelle, ma belle. And that means Michelle, my beauty. That's a great start, isn't it? Right? Come on. You can't go wrong with my beauty. And there's not a woman alive who's gonna be like, I'd prefer if you didn't call me beautiful. Right? I've got three women in my home. I know what I'm talking about here. Then he goes on to say, Son les mots qui vont très bien ensemble, très, très bien ensemble. And again, if you don't know what it means, you're like, come on, right? Like it just sounds lovely. It just sounds like he's, he's wooing her until you find out what it means. Because this is a man who has very limited use of the French language. And that phrase in English, literally is translated to um, Michelle Mabel. In English, then, are words that go together very well, very good together. So, ladies, you can imagine <laughs> if some, some national showed up and he didn't speak any English and he said, My beauty, are words that go together very well, very good together. You wouldn't just be like, like right you just fall into his arms like you're you're swept off your feet you'd be like i don't think so right some no this isn't right like okay come on now am i the only one that thinks that this is the thing though there's a disconnect between what this man feels and what he's communicating he feels something deeply for this woman, he loves her and he's trying to communicate it, but his, his, his lack of French knowledge keeps him from saying exactly what he feels. And because he, there's this gap between how he feels and what he can communicate, there, there's, there's left this woman who lacks an understanding of how this man really feels. And that's the tragedy of this song. It is a cute song and it's, it's fun, But at the end of the day, there's this man who has this deep longing because he says, there's there's this woman I love that she'll never know it because I can't say it. I'll never be able to communicate my love for her in a way that she's going to understand. And that is the, the tragedy of this song. So there's a gap between how he felt and what he could communicate. And this creates the tragedy because this woman just will never know how much she's loved by this man, and the truth is, human beings have the same struggle. Even if you speak the same language as the person you love, we still struggle with this. This is, if we're going to be honest, this is why poetry was invented. It was to woo women, okay? <laughs> that was why someone started putting some words together because they knew there's this girl that I want to I communicate to, so what do I do? And what's happened is schlubs like me have taken the poetry that someone else wrote and I've been like, oh uh, yeah, that's, I, I like what he said. I'll say that too. Does that make sense? So that's where poetry has come from. And, and when I was in college and I was wooing a, a, a young lady and I would read her some Chaucer, I would bust out some, some whoever else. I can't think of any other poets. <laughs> Shel Silverstein. I don't even know. <laughs> whoever it might be. But I had his book of poetry, and it looked good on my shelf. And I would bust one of those out once in a while for some girl. Some Bill Shakespeare, because when, when I know you that well, that's what I call you, is Bill. And so whatever it is, right? But what I was doing is I was co-opting his words, and I was saying. This is how I feel. Now these aren't my words, these are his words, but I want you to know how I feel. This is also where if you're old enough, you might remember, does anybody remember mixtapes? Yeah. Oh yeah. You better believe there's some girls at Mustang Middle School and Mustang High School, they got a mixtape for Mel Massingale, that's for sure. <laughs> And I'm so old that I remember having the dual cassette tapes in my room, you know, and and what I would do is I would put the blank cassette tape in, and I would close it, and I would hit record and play and pause at the same time, and then I would turn on KJ 103 102.7 Oklahoma City because they would have the slow jams at night, (laughs) and I would just be ready. The DJ would come on and say, hey, everybody, I've got this slow jam going out to Denise over in Dell City. This is from Michael. He said he loves you. And then I would wait and I'd hear the song and I'd hit pause and it would start recording. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Got some Keith Sweat going on. A little bell Biv DeVoe, whatever it was. It didn't matter. And what I would do is I would take that tape and I would write on the cover, you know, like special jams for Aaron or whatever it was. And I would be like, hey, Aaron, I made you something. And she would go, oh, really? Here you go. Oh, thanks, that's so sweet. And I don't know if they ever listened to it, but this is the thing. As a 12, 13, 15, 42-year-old boy, sometimes (laughs) men struggle to communicate what we feel. And so what I was doing is I was taking this mixtape, and what I was saying is, hey, there's some songs on here that tell you how I feel because I can't tell you these things that make sense that's why cards were invented hallmark this is a cottage industry they're like guys you're dumb and you don't know how to tell your your the person you love how to tell them you don't know how to say that so let us tell tell them for you and you go great and you show up to the store on february 13th and you start looking at all the picked over valentine's cards right and you're in a rush because you're like oh my gosh i forgot and you pick out a card and you're like No, that's dumb. That's not right in you. Okay, that's good. And what are you doing? You're you're trying to find something that sounds like something you would say. You go, yes, this conveys my heart for the person I love. So what do you do? You, You buy the card, you take it home, and then you sign it. Mel. Don't sign Mel. Whatever your name is is what you would sign. It'd be awkward if your wife gets a card from me for Valentine's. But what are we doing? We're saying these thoughts in this card, that's how I feel about you. Like I can't say this, I can't communicate it the way I would like to. So I want you to know this is how I feel about you. So we've co-opted someone else's feelings or thoughts or ideas about love to help us communicate that to someone else. Because even for us, we struggle with this. One of the things uh, that we do is, is we get these Valentine's cards, Mother's Day cards, birthday cards. There's lots of different cards that, that we will pass out, but there's a few cards that I ran onto recently that i want to share a couple with, with you tonight. Um, this first card I'll show you, this is the card when your kids forgot your birthday. <laughs> birthday, Dad, it's fun to be 50, right? With Barbie, it's flirty and fun. Or maybe your kids don't have a very good sense of humor, and that's the card they got you. Um, this is the card that you end up getting whenever you send your husband to go to the store to, to get the baby shower card that you need to give your friend. This is the card that you might show up with Happy birth to you! <laughs> Happy birth to you! That is, why does that sound bad? That doesn't sound weird at all. Just start telling your friends that are pregnant, Happy birth to you! It's not awkward. Um, Some cards just don't have a very broad market or broad appeal, Um, and so sometimes you got to make one of those cards on your own, kind of like this one. Wishing you the best brain surgery ever. (laughs) So I just, I'm I'm a little demented, and uh, I had this, when I saw this one, I had this, picture of a person like standing in the card aisle at Walmart and they're like, can I help you? They're like, yeah, I see birthday and I see anniversary and I see romance. I see all these cards, happy first birthday. I don't see any brain surgery cards anywhere. And they're like, oh, brain surgery, it's over here, right? So they decided to make one. And really, if you've got brain surgery, is that card gonna make you feel better about it? You're like, ah, well, it'll be fine then, no problem. And really this final card is one I hope you never have an occasion to receive. I hope you never get this card. Hey, sorry you got stabbed. (laughs) I think that one's my favorite. And I don't know who made the A, sorry you got stabbed card. I would love to meet them and be their friend though. I think we would have so much fun. But all these people said, there's something I'm trying to communicate and I can't do it very well and I need some help. And the truth is in relationships, if you're around other human beings, there are times, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship, that there are going to be things you feel that you can't communicate. Or maybe you feel like you do communicate them, but they're not received very well. Um, And let me just share something real practical with you real quickly. Uh, There's a book called The Five Love Languages that if you've never read and you're around other human beings, it is fantastic to read. It's great for relationships with your kids, friends, spouse, um, because it really does talk about the ways that we give and receive love. Um, and, and just real quickly, the five love languages are words of affirmation, number one, this is saying, I love you, uh, "Hey, I am proud of you, and you look great, thank you so much for what you do. Uh, man, I appreciate you so much. All these things can mean something to someone as a word of affirmation. Quality time, this is just time spent together, even if you're not doing anything. Uh, one of my daughters loves just to, Be together. Like we don't even have to be doing anything significant. Just being together matters to her. Receiving gifts. Uh, This is just tokens of appreciation or affection. This is just, hey, I was thinking about you and I got you this. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be super valuable, but just the fact that you would think of me and buy this for me, Makes a difference, that's uh, receiving gifts. Acts of service, doing something for the other person. So husbands, let me help you with something. Um, Valentine's is right around the corner and sometimes you think you're being sexy, but you're not. Maybe the sexiest thing you can do is the dishes. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just throwing it out there because if your wife uh, her, one of her love languages is acts of service. That's going, to, that's going to impact her more than any rose is going to impact her. Like when you walk in with your Barry White music on and no, 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 no. Acts of service might be the thing. The last one is physical touch. Um, this is just hand-holding. Um, this, is, this is one of my love languages. And last week, my wife and I were at a, a minister's retreat with a whole bunch of other pastors and we're sitting at round tables. She's sitting right next to me. And throughout the meeting, like she would just reach over and put her hand on my back and just like, you know, scratch my back in a circle, you know, nothing big, but just that. And like, for me, that's like, yes, right? Like, oh, I love it, thank you. Like, I know you love me because you're putting your hand on me, you're touching my leg, whatever it is. Things like that just mean a lot to people who um, like physical touch. One of my daughters is a physical touch person and so no matter how old she gets, she's always going to want to cuddle with me. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be 105 and she's gonna crawl into the medical bed right next to me, you know, with my, all my tubes hooked up and she's gonna cuddle with me because that's her love language. So this is what I want you to know. Um, one of my primary love language is physical touch. So it's the way I like to receive love. If I'm not careful, that's the way I'm going to give love. And so if, if I give love that way, if I rub my wife's back, but her love language is, is acts of service, she's not gonna care that I'm rubbing her back. And then I'm gonna be frustrated because I'm loving her well, then she's gonna be frustrated because she's not receiving love. Does that make sense to anybody? So there's a, a gap in our communication and I'm going, well, I'm telling you I love you because I'm rubbing your back. And she's going, if you really love me, you'd wash the dishes. <laughs> Does that make sense? And it's not that I'm right or she's wrong or vice versa. It's that I'm communicating how I feel about her, but it's just not being received. And so all these, it's that's possible with any of these love languages. So one of the important things to do is to figure out not just how I like to receive love, but how do the people around me like to receive love? Because when I identify that, it's going to help me love them better. Because now if I go, my wife doesn't give a rip if I sit next to her on the couch and watch a movie, but she likes it when I will go pick up the vacuum and vacuum upstairs. Well, I'm gonna love her better that way. Does that make sense? It just helps me communicate my love for her more effectively. So I wanna encourage you, don't just think about the ways you like to receive love. Think about the ways the people around you like to receive love and then be active about that. Uh, One of the things... It's so interesting is so many people can go to church and be an active part of a church and still feel like the love of God is a mystery. Like we'll have moments where we go, well, yeah, I kind of felt God in that service, but on a day-to-day basis, I just, I don't know if I feel the love of God. And we're not supposed to say stuff like that because we're Christians, but the truth is many, many people struggle receiving love from God and they don't know why. And part of it is because maybe God's communicating love to us in a way that we're not paying attention so we're not receiving the love he really has for us. So I want to walk through a passage of scripture with you tonight. It's in Romans chapter five. So I'm just going to walk through a few verses with you together, unpack it. And then hopefully we're going to have a better view of how God really loves us. Paul's talking to the Roman church in Romans five, six. And he says this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, a couple of things I want to point out while he, he says this, while we were still weak. Now it's not talking about our physical bodies, what it's talking about is our ability to save ourselves. So what he's saying is, um, we didn't, we, we didn't like this, we lacked the strength to save ourselves. Because I want you to know this, there's nothing you can do in yourself to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, to make it into heaven. You can't give enough, you can't show up to church enough, you can't be nice enough. You can't be moral enough. None of those things will earn you acceptance into heaven. None of those things will bridge the gap and build relationship with God. The only thing that can do that is Christ. So what Paul says is in our weakness, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So when we lacked the ability to save ourselves, Christ came to save us is what he's saying. At the right time, there was a plan, there was a purpose. God knew what he was doing and he he fulfilled his plan. It's interesting because he said, died for the ungodly. And if you've been around church long enough, it's easy to get into this place where we think we're the godly and all the people out there, like we won't say they're ungodly, but they're ungodly, we're godly. And that's not what Paul was saying here because the people that were reading this letter knew Paul. They knew his background. So they knew when Paul said, died for the ungodly, he wasn't talking about all those people out there, all those pagans, those lost people. That's not what he was saying. When he was saying the ungodly, he was talking about us. In fact, if you look at the New Living Translation, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I love that. Us sinners. Now, I understand that we are new creations in Christ, but I also understand that there's something about saying, hey, if it wasn't for Christ... I'm not any better than anybody who doesn't go to our church, anybody who's not saved, anybody who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. I'm not better than them. I just happen to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, So there is no us and them in terms of better and worse or anything like that. And so when Paul says for the ungodly, he's saying us at the right time in our weakness, Christ paid the price for us, the ungodly. Verse seven says this, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Now, I don't want this to sound morbid, but there are people that I know for sure I would die for. Without a doubt, I wouldn't have to think twice about it. Didn't matter what was going on, I would lay down my life for a group of people. And you probably have a group of people too that you go, without a doubt, my kids, my spouse, my parents, whatever it is, you've got a list of people that you would not have to think about and go, oh, right? <laughs> But then there are some people that you'd have to go, mm, I don't know. I like them. I don't know if I'm taking a bullet for them though, right? Then there's a group of people you're like, not only am I not taking a bullet, I've got a bullet for them. Just in case, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so what Paul is saying is, even for a good person, think about the most moral, godly, holy person you know. And there are still people who would go, nah, I'm not taking a bullet for that guy. Nah, I'm not taking a bullet for that woman. No matter how much of a saint they are, there'd still people who'd be like, no thanks, I can't do it. And then he says this in verse eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says, some people... They would really struggle to lay down their life for a good, godly, moral person. The the most saintly person you could ever imagine. There'd be a whole bunch of people who wouldn't die for them. But God. But God, I love this. He shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what we see here is this comparison. Most people wouldn't even die for good, godly, moral people, right? But God, does just the opposite. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what we see in Scripture is not the way we view sin. See, the way we view sin is we go, uh, okay, lying is, is a sin, but if if I'm lying to not hurt somebody feeling, it's it's like a little white it's a little white lie. It's not that big a deal. I can justify that. If it's worse, if I'm lying to get out of something, it's worse even yet if I'm lying to manipulate people. Like there are layers there. And then on the other end of the scale, you've got uh, the big ones: murder, sexual assault, abuse. Uh, molestation, something like that. That's on that end. So we've got this scale of sinfulness. And as long as we're on this end of the scale, we feel better. We go, well, it's not that bad. My sin, I mean, compared to that person, they're terrible, but I'm not bad. I mean, I don't gossip nearly as much as they gossip, right? Because I'm on this end of the scale, so I'm, I'm better. But what we see in Scripture is all sin that's unrepentant, and what that means is, is all sin that I live in without, without trying to walk away from, without submitting to God to take out of my life, all that sin that's unrepentant still separates me from a holy God. So it doesn't matter what the sin is on our scale, if it's unrepentant sin that I go, it's not that big a deal, it's just who I am, that will separate us from a righteous, holy God. So in the eyes of God, unrepentant sin of any kind is just like we were guilty of murder, or rape, or molestation. Now think about it this way. If you struggled to think of godly people that you would give your life for, can you imagine a child molester that you would go, yeah, I'd give up my life for that person. Now, I'm not expecting anyone to say yes, because we're talking about a natural love. It's hard to love someone in the natural that way, someone we don't know, someone who's, who's committed that level of offense. But this is the comparison that we have to draw in this passage because what Paul is saying is, hey, most people wouldn't die for good people, but do you know what God has done? God died for you when you were guilty of the worst sin you can imagine. On your very worst day, the day that you hope no one will remember and no one will find out about, the moment, the thing that you hope will always stay secret, God saw you and loved you enough to send his son for you. That's a love we can't understand. That's a love we struggle to receive because it's so unlike our love. One of the things I love about this passage is this word shows, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This word shows in the Greek is uh, sunisteo. And sunisteo, it's weird because it doesn't mean what you would initially think it means. It means to place together, to set in the same place, to bring or band together, to stand with or near, to set one with another. So you're you're putting pieces together. And and it reminded me, there's a show um, that's come out in the last couple of weeks, and I think it's called Lego Master's. And I'm not a fan of Legos. I've stepped on a few in my day and that was all I needed right there. I'm done with Legos. But it's amazing what these guys can do. These people will take thousands of Legos, individual pieces, and they'll put them together and they'll create statues. They'll create figures. They'll create ships, whatever it is. Huge, beautiful things. And then they'll put a big like velvet rope around it. Like, do not go near this. It was 8 million Legos, and it took me 10,000 man hours to put it together. So if you touch it, I will kill you. I will take your life, right? And so they put the rope around it. Don't go near it. So what are they doing? Well, this is Sunisteo. They've assembled all these separate pieces, they've put all these pieces together, and then they put it on display. And this is what this word means. So so I want want you to hear this. I would take a mixtape to a girl and go, this is how I feel about you. I don't know how to tell you, so I'm gonna show you. Here's a mixtape. And what God has done is he said, I wanna communicate my love for my people, but I I don't know how you're gonna be able to receive it, so I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna display my love for you through Jesus Christ. I'm going to put him on display for all to see. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him to pay the price for your sins, not when you get your stuff together, not when you get yourself cleaned up, not when you stop with that habit, not when you quit the addiction, not when you start acting right, not when your marriage is perfect, not when your finances are all in line, but I'm going to send my son to pay the price for you at your very worst, on your most horrible day on the day you hope no one ever remembers i'm going to send my son on that day and that's going to display my love for you that's what he does and this is one of the reasons we struggle i don't get it we're like this this french girl and we want to understand we're going nope i don't i don't get it he i know he's saying something but i don't know what he's saying and God is desperately trying to tell us how much he loves us. But this love is so foreign to us, we struggle to see it. We struggle to recognize it. We struggle to understand what he really wants for us. But he is showing his love for us in the way that he has sent Christ to pay the price for our sins. Romans 5.9 says this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall, be, uh, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So this word justified is a legal term and it means made right, basically. And this legal term is very formal, but in this sense, it means we are found not guilty. So even though we were guilty because of the blood of Christ, because Christ gave his life, his blood atoned for our sins and we take on the righteousness of Christ. So now God doesn't see us and our sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So when he says, hey, you're not guilty, right? Like, well, the evidence was overwhelming, but the blood has covered it all, and you're not guilty. Praise God that we're not guilty, right? (laughs) All right, that's fantastic. Basically, what that means is, um, in in a very crude way, we don't have to go to hell. That's a bonus. I don't know if you know that. That's a bonus, okay? But this is the thing. I grew up in a tradition uh, where I felt like my salvation was precarious, I felt like uh, if I was doing something fun, it was probably sinful. No matter how sinful it may have been or not. I remember um, my, my granny, my, my dad's mom, years ago, uh, I was going to a movie with my cousins and she said, uh, she, she was in the holiness tradition. And she said, hope Jesus doesn't come back while you're watching this movie. <laughs> and what she's implying is I'm not going to make it because I'm sitting in the movie theater when Jesus comes back. And I remember praying, Jesus, can you hold off till after this movie? <laughs> I really want to see it. It's an 82-minute runtime, like 15 minutes of previews. Just give me some time, right? Because I felt like, what if Jesus comes back and then I'm not saved anymore? I remember having these moments with God where I felt like um, he was just ready to erase my name out of the Lamb's Book of Life if I did anything stupid. I felt like his grace was Uh, was weak at best. And what I've come to realize is his his grace wraps us up. His grace doesn't let go of us. Now, this doesn't mean we have license to live however we want. But the truth is, I was afraid of God's wrath. I was afraid of, well, if I do something stupid, I'm going to have to go to hell. Even though I've, I've said a prayer a thousand times, I kept thinking, well, grace isn't strong enough. I got to say it again today and hopefully I'll get saved this time. (laughs) And what I failed to understand is um, when my heart is submitted to Christ, when he really does come into my life, uh, I don't have to try so hard to stop sinning because sin is marginalized in my life. When my heart is right before God, when I'm pursuing him, my heart naturally draws to him. Um, I don't have to try to figure out how to stop sinning. I've said this before, praying people will stop sinning and sinning people will stop praying. And this is true in our lives. So I was worried about the wrath of God, but what we see here in verse nine is much more, shall, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? If Jesus is good for salvation to get me into heaven, then he's good enough that I'm free from worrying about the consequences of sin if my heart is really submitted to God. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, this word reconciled, I love it. And I've talked to you before about this. The Bible commands us to forgive, but the Bible does not command us to be reconciled to man. Because the truth is, uh, God doesn't command it because we can't control that we can control forgiveness. I can choose to forgive someone who's hurt me, but I can't always reconcile with someone who's hurt me because they might not want to. So what I have to do is choose to forgive and pursue reconciliation. But when we see this word reconciled here, it's so interesting because the word reconciled implies that there was a relationship that was broken and now it's been restored. And if we don't understand the love of God in our lives, what happens is we mess up, we do something stupid and we go, well, now God hates me because I did something stupid. Now God's unhappy with me. Well, I can't go back to that church because because I blew it, I messed up and God's not gonna be happy if I go back there. I've invited people to church who have said, man, I can't come to your church. Why can't you come to my church? Well, if I did, the, the roof would cave in because what they're saying is my sin is too much. I've done too much. I've gone too far for the love of God, for the forgiveness of God to cover me. And what's happened is uh, we, we stare at the wrath and we have missed the love. And what we have to understand is God desperately wants to reconcile with us. But it's not God who needs to reconcile with us. It's us who needs to reconcile with God. Because this is the thing. God never walked away from relationship. God was never like, man, they messed up. They went to that relationship again. I'm done. God's never like, oh, they, they, they're looking at porn again. I'm done. That's not how God works. God, God's pursuing us, but we turn away. We, we pursue these other things, these other attractions, these other sinful, whatever it is. So when reconciliation happens, it's not about God being reconciled to us. It's about us being reconciled to God. And this is beautiful because what we see here in verse nine is this legal language. It's very, uh, very buttoned-up language, and then we get to verse ten, and this is this is like comfortable relational language. This is reconciliation. This is this is. Um, something that you would talk about with somebody that you're intimately familiar with. And this is the heart of God. Yes, he's gonna take care of the big stuff. Yes, he's gonna forgive sin, but he doesn't wanna just forgive sin. He doesn't want you to just get to heaven. He wants to know you intimately and relationally. He wants to bring you back as a son or daughter of God because he's pursuing that. And I want you to know something. Since the beginning of time, since the beginning of time, God has been in hot pursuit of your soul. He's been after you. He's never stopped. He's never turned away. He's been pursuing you. The love of God is persistent. He stays after you. He's been chasing you longer than you can ever imagine. And just when you think you've run too far, if you will just simply turn, you're gonna find that he's right behind you. He's been chasing you the whole time. Because he's a God who wants you to be reconciled to him. Verse 11 says this. More than that. And I love that. As if what we just talked about wasn't enough. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now it seems duplicitous to say this. You know, we're reconciled twice in verse 10 and then we say it again in verse 11. But this is powerful. I want you to to get this. I want you to understand this. this word reconciliation. So, in in our context, it, it means restoring relationship. Uh, if you if you're balancing your checkbook, you said, "Hey, we're reconciling our, our checkbook. We're making sure every penny is accounted for. We're making sure our books are right, our numbers are right." So, you might reconcile your your budget. Um, and and originally, this word reconciliation in the Greek it had its primary uses were in finance. And what we see here is this word reconciliation was used in the exchange of currency. And the intended purpose was if I had $100 American and I went overseas and I exchanged the $100, I would get an equal amount of whatever dollar I was exchanging. So I would, I would trade them and I would get the same value back. That's the implication, that's what it's talking about. <laughs> And I hope, oh God, help us understand this. I I wanna go back to verse eight. God shows, he displays his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to put that with this idea of reconciliation because this is what God has done for us. At our worst moment, on our worst day, the most dreadful thing we've ever done or thought or talked, whatever it is, in that moment. He didn't just send Christ to die for us. As a matter of fact, Christ said, no one takes my life. I give it freely. So so not only did Christ die for us, but, but God says, I know what the price is, and my son is valuable. But he says, I'm reconciling humanity to me. And what he's saying is, this is a fair exchange. I'm taking my son, the blameless, perfect son of God, and I'm exchanging him for sinners, for people who are guilty of some of the worst sins you could ever imagine, things that people in this room couldn't even dream about. And that includes you and me, because sin is sin to God. And so we would look at it on the the surface and go, this doesn't seem like an equitable trade, right? Right? Cause I know me, I'm a pretty moral person. I'm a pretty good guy, but I know me. And I know that I don't stack up to a righteous, holy Jesus. So that's an unfair trade. But this is the thing, uh, I, can't, I can't look at my family objectively. Um, my daughters, I love them too much to be able to look at them in a truly objectionable way where I can say, well, this is how they are because they're mine. Does that make sense? So I'm I'm gonna be biased because they're my girls. I want you to know something. This doesn't seem like a fair trade to us, but God sees us and he values us as if we're his kids already. He says, I know what their worth is and they are worth my son. So you might be here tonight and you think you're the worst sinner in the world. You might be the person that felt like, I can't walk into that church. I can't show my face there. Man, those people, if they knew what I did. But do you know what? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We recognize that we are valuable because God has valued us. God has paid his son for us. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've been a part of, no matter what's been done to us, we are valuable in the eyes of God because at our worst, he paid a high price for us. You know, as we're talking about this idea tonight, and I talk about struggling to tell a girl how I feel about her and cards, all these different things, I want you to know something. God doesn't struggle to tell us he loves us we struggle to understand. But he doesn't struggle to tell us. I talked to a friend this last week and his dad passed away in October. And so, you know, we talked a lot through that. And little did I know, just a little while later, same thing would happen. And So we sat down and we were talking, we were exchanging stories. And he said, Mel, I so wish my story looked like your story. I said, what do you mean? Because I told him, my dad was a best dad in the world. I've never seen a father that is close to what my dad was. It was just weird. And he loved me like crazy. And he told me often and just very affectionate. And it was just, he was awesome. He said, I wish my dad, I wish I had the relationship with my dad. I said, what do you mean? And uh, he said, well, uh, you know, we'd been praying for his salvation. Yeah. Because he, this man had never surrendered his life to Christ. And he said, well, I want you to know um, the day before he passed, um, I, I was able to lead him to the Lord. Man, praise God, that's incredible. You know, I'm a crybaby anyway, but we're sitting at this table at lunch and we're both teary-eyed. And, and he said, you know what was so cool? He said, that night, you know, I, we finished. I was leaving for the night. I was gonna go back to my brother's house. And he said, I was walking out and my dad stopped. And he said, hey, son, I want you to know something. I love you and I always have. I said, well, that's cool. And he said, yeah, that's the only time I ever heard my dad tell me he loved me said, You never heard your dad say he loved you? He said, No, he never said it until that moment. And I thought, Man, here was a son who desperately just wanted to hear his dad say, I love you. And he never heard it until the very end. At least he heard it. And some of us are sitting in this room and we're going, Man, I just would love to hear God say, I love you. And you think maybe God is withholding love from you? He's not. God's put his love on display to us through this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. See, what I want you to know tonight is uh, Jesus is God's card to you. He's saying, I could tell you I love you, but you wouldn't understand it. So I just wanna wanna show you. I wanna put my love for you on display through my son, who I'm giving to you, not on your best day, but on your worst day, because that's how I love you. See, Jesus is the way that God bridges the gap between what he thinks about us And the way that we can understand it. Because that's who God is. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much. And I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've done. But I can tell you without a shadow of doubt in my mind that God loves you passionately and desperately. He wants nothing more than for you to be reconciled to him tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian. Maybe you've been saved a long time. You've been part of church for a long time. But maybe you're here and you've forgotten about the love of God. Maybe you've gotten used to church, you've gotten used to religion, and maybe you've forgotten how good it is just to love God and be truly loved by God. My heart is that you'd rediscover that tonight, that you'd rediscover the beauty of Christ, the price he paid and what he did for you and the depth of God's love for you. And as you rediscover that, everything else in your life is gonna fall into place. Some of the things you've been struggling with are just going to melt away when you, <laughs> when you just fall back in love with Jesus? And that's one of the things we've talked about lately. I don't want us to be so good at church that we're bad at God. I don't want us to do church so well that we overlook the love of Christ working among us and in us and through us. We've become so corporate that, that we can't, see him move in us, that, that we fail to stop and recognize the beauty of God. And so I just wanna encourage you tonight, maybe you've gotten a little bit hardened to God and you've forgotten about the love of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist, to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ loved us so much he laid down his life for us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight, and we are We're in awe of your love for us. Thank you that you loved us on our worst day. You're not asking us to clean ourselves up or fix our mess, that you simply want us to come to you. So God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Let tonight be the night that they surrender their lives, that they're reconciled to you through the the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ. God, I pray that we wouldn't wait until we get our lives in order or fix our mess, but Lord, I pray that tonight our hearts would be fully surrendered to you and we'd recognize your goodness. So God, I pray that it wouldn't be eloquent words, it wouldn't be music that would draw us to you, but God, I pray that we would see your son on display. And we'd have no other choice but to worship you. So God, I pray right now for every person in this place who has yet to surrender their life to you. Let tonight be the night. Let, it, let them come to you with reckless abandon, that they give it all to you, trusting you. And I pray that they would experience the greatest trade of all time, that they can lay down their worry and their fear and their doubt and their pain and their sorrow and their sin and they can be reconciled to a God who loves them passionately. God, I pray for those that are here that maybe are Christians, but they've forgotten about the love of God. They've gotten so used to the the form of church and the form of God that they have missed the heart of God. I pray, God, right now, even for me, Lord, I repent of the times that we do church, but we miss you. So God, stir us, remind us of your great love for us. I pray as we gaze upon Christ, everything else would fall into place. As we prioritize the love of God in our own lives and pursuing that love, God, I pray that it would change everything for us. So God, I pray for those of us, the church has gotten old or stale or boring or become habit or routine, God, reawaken us to your great love for us tonight. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around. I just wanna ask, maybe you're here tonight and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm, I'm not really walking with Christ. I've never really surrendered my life to Christ. The truth is I've never really been reconciled to God. But I wanna experience the love of God tonight that you talked about. I wanna experience Christ display, that love for me at my worst. I wanna experience that. I wanna make Jesus Lord. I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough tonight just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'll say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. Tonight's my night. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I wanna be reconciled to God. Are there any? Yeah, thank you, I see you on my right. Praise God, praise God. Yeah, thank you. I see another hand on my right. Awesome. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, Mel, pray for me. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say this out loud. The word of God tells us, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God uh, that God raised Christ from the dead and that he is Lord, you shall be saved. So. I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud, but I don't want you to say it in your heart as well. Mean it from your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son to pay the price for my sins on the cross. On my very worst day, you gave Christ to reconcile me to you. So from this day forward, my life belongs to you use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause tonight. Listen, we serve an incredibly good God. And if you're here tonight and you've been hurt by church, you've been hurt by religion, you've been hurt by pastors or leaders, whatever it might be, I want you to know that is not who God is. God loves you desperately and passionately. So if you're here tonight and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture tells us you're a new creation. We would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you would, take just a second, literally it'll take you one minute to take the card out of the seat back in front of you and fill out the side of the card that says salvation. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. Fill out that card, take it over to our information center. They're going to give you a new Bible uh, to help you on your journey and we're going to get you information. We're going to get you connected to relationships and resources that are going to help you grow in your faith. If you're watching all online and you prayed that prayer with us tonight, thank you so much for doing that. I believe that, uh, that God's about to do something incredible in your life. So thank you for worshiping with us tonight. I wouldn't want to respond to you too. I want to help you. So if you would, simply text the word salvation to the number 555 And if you do that, we're going to help you. We're going to respond back to you. We're going to help you find a church in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith. We're going to get you some resources in the mail as well. So thank you for praying that prayer with us. Thank you for watching online. Pray that God blesses you. Here's what's going to happen right now. Uh, The worship team, no, not the worship team. We don't do that anymore. Brian is gonna keep playing the song over there. And and this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna pray a final prayer over you. And while I'm doing that, our prayer team is gonna come up and they're gonna join me right here at the front of the stage. And if you're here tonight and you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, when we finish here in just a moment, and I dismiss, some of the people are gonna be walking out. I want you to come forward. I want you to come up and meet with one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you. Maybe you're here and you need physical healing in your body. Maybe there's something going on in your marriage and your job. Maybe you're here tonight and this message rung true for you, and you just say, man, I need to experience the love of God again. I need something stirred up and awakened in me. And just come let us agree with you in prayer. The Word of God says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be also. And so what that means is when, when a couple of people come together in agreement, and we say, hey, in the name of Jesus, we're going to pray about this, Jesus is going to show up and something's going to happen. So I believe that if you're here tonight and you've got a need, come forward, let our team pray with you. Maybe you just wanna sit at your seat and pray and just sit in the presence of God a little bit. Please do that. If you wanna come forward and kneel at one of these steps, feel free, whatever you wanna do. We just wanna give this time to God and let him work in it. If you feel like God is through with you in just a moment we're dismissed, feel free to exit. Uh, Please do so reverently so we don't disrupt what's going on here at the front of this room. So let me pray a final prayer. Our prayer team's gonna come and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your incredible goodness. Thank you for your incredible love. God, thank you that even tonight as we've talked about your love, we've truly only seen a glimpse of it. We don't truly understand how big your love is for us. But God, I pray that, that the glimpse we've gotten would carry us this week. As we walk out of this place, Lord, I pray that the love of God would shine through us. God, I pray as we as we leave here tonight and we go home or we go to eat, uh, God, I pray tomorrow as we run errands, God, Monday when we go to work, God, I pray um, the, the students that are going to class at IUP or, or the local schools, God, I pray as we walk into those spaces, God, the love of God would invade. The love of God would show up as we walk in and God, people would see you at work in us. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be about us, but it would be all about you. So God, I pray, help us to experience your love, but God, help us to carry it with us so others can experience it as well. Help us to be light in darkness this week, God. Help us to influence this community for your glory. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you, have a great week.